Sorry, I was probably just staring at you because I was like deep in an article about how to size a geothermal heating system. Oh, goodness gracious. Not that that's what I'm doing. I'm just, you know, fantasizing. Right. Yeah, I definitely fall into that category of millennial that fantasizes about energy efficiency. You're like, what if I could have a roof of solar panels? Like, what if I actually make a greenhouse that was heated by a large compost pile of wood chips? Yeah, that would be cool. That'd be pretty cool. It's hard to make those things. In my experience, compost as heat source requires you to be at a high level of finesse in your understanding of compost itself. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And you need access to a lot of material, specifically a lot of carbon material like leaves and wood chips and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was reading about some French guy who like was a land manager and had access to like infinite wood chips. Right. That was always our problem when I was living in the forest in the Northwest is we never had enough carbon. We're always like scrambling for enough carbon to make our stuff work. I'm still a little bit of a sick banana. Yeah, how are you feeling? Tell the listeners. Well, I want to know how you're doing. Well, fuck. Um, Baruch Hashem, I'm well. My boyfriend took the day off work today because he's been working a lot of overtime, so I'm getting some extra boyfriend hours, which I appreciate. I just had the last shior of the fall semester of my Talmud fellowship, which was really nice. And yeah, working, working, working on my little part-time job, which is going really well. Just you know, coming up with more and more things to do. What else is going on? It's cold and dark and I'm sick of that shit. I really wanted to snow. I can't believe it hasn't. It's almost Christmas and it still hasn't snowed. That feels inappropriate to me. I feel like it's been like that way for the past four years. I was just talking with a friend the other day about how last year in Rhode Island, there was some snow in October and everyone was talking about it. There was like Halloween snow or something. Well, it's never doing what it's supposed to do. Right. Whatever it is, it's wrong. We're turning into an old man podcast. Which one of us is click and which one of us is clack? You're the smart one and I'm the dumb one who makes the jokes. Great. You're the bimbo. Yeah, but overall I'm doing quite well. I am stressed out about COVID. Okay, what are we supposed to do exactly about COVID right now? Well, my understanding, and this is like another one of those times where it's like suddenly it feels like we don't have any accurate information. My understanding is like, get your vaccine, your booster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can switch to N95 masks away from cloth. Okay. And like dial back the indoor experiences i get the new york times like daily covid briefing and it really is fauci porn yeah and it's like unclear if it's legitimate like i know covid is bad but i don't know if new york times is trying to make it sound worse in order to put themselves on a higher pedestal than the non-vac you know what i mean yeah i mean i feel like every day i scroll through twitter and the tweets perfectly alternate like Omicron is the the worst thing ever. And then the next tweet is like, Omicron's not as bad as you think it is. And just like, it alternates perfectly between those two themes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those are like the practical steps that I aspire to take. I mean, I got my booster already, but the other two I would like to work on. That's what's up in the Chavalarium. What's up (laughs) with you? You've been sick. What's the trajectory of your sickness? Are you on the upswing? I think I'm on the upswing, but I'm kind of a sickly person in general. I know this about you. I linger a lot. You secretly love getting sick because it justifies your general sickliness. Uh, (laughs) no. No, inaccurate? No, I don't like getting sick. 
Yeah. No, no, but it is great excuse. You have to take advantage. I've woven whole coats out of that silver lining, you know? Right. But uh, no, I'm fine. Besides feeling ill, just kind of trying to get through, packing up and moving and just being a born adult. Yeah. What are you doing for New Year's? What are you doing for New Year's? What am I doing for New Year's? I have no plans. Just hanging out. Okay. Chillaxing, ideally. All right. You wouldn't want to drive all the way to Western Massachusetts and hang out in an unpacked house, would you? Oh, because you'll be at your house by then? Let me talk it over with the boyf. No loif without boyf. Yeah, I mean, no big deal, because it will be the day after we have moved in. So there'll be like nothing. Okay. There'll be Got nothing. It. It'll be a weird time. You know what? Never mind. Don't worry about it. Let's do a different week. Okay. <laughs> well, you know what? No. Come on down. It'd be fun. <laughs> no, do worry about it. You know, it. do worry about it. You know, just let, let me know if, if you're interested. Great. I'll talk to the boyf. Okay. Um, well, should we give him a show? Should we give him the old razzle-dazzle? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's razzle-dazzle him. Yeah, let's razzle. Let's dazzle. Okay, so today is going to be something a little different, a little divergence from our usual format. We're going to do a mailbag episode today. Occasionally, you guys send us really awesome questions that don't constitute enough content for a whole episode. So I have compiled those questions into this episode. It's a clip episode, you know? It's a bobble episode. We're going to go through a couple smaller questions, and hopefully they add up to be a complete episode together. All right, great. I love that. So, first question, smooching with Shior. Hi, Chava and Michael. I just learned that in the Talmud, the word Shior is used to mean things like a minimum amount or a standard measurement. Why in modern parlance does it mean a text-based lecture? How did that happen, and what's the history there? It's the same letters, shin, yud, ayin, vav, resh. Thanks. Okay, so this is a good question. It's a question that I have wondered about a lot. Oftentimes in Talmud, shior comes up as like, oh, how much grain do you have to have in order to, for your grain to be subject to a tax? And that question is like, what is the shior of grain you need to have, right? That makes sense. That makes sense. So that meaning came first. I researched there's this great blog called balashon.com, B-A-L-A-S-H-O-N, that does Hebrew etymology. I use this blog and this person as a resource frequently when answering questions like this. This guy says that the meaning of measure came first, and only in medieval Hebrew did shior come to mean lesson a.k.a. a set measure of learning. That sense is preserved in the Hebrew phrase shiore bayit, homework, literally like measure of the house, followed by the modern Hebrew sense of class. The word shior derives from the root shin ayin resh, meaning to calculate, to estimate, to measure. So that's basically the etymological leap being made, is a shior is a measure of learning. It is the amount of learning that is meted out to you. That's kind of a cute turn of phrase. That's nice. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, Talmud is full of stuff like this. For instance, we call a, what in English people often call a, um, wow, I love that I just forgot this word. What's the English word for masechet? Chapter? No, it's uh, like a... Um, section? It's uh, the it's a word you never see in English anywhere else. That's what makes it so funny. Uh, Fuck. <laughs> I can't believe I have to Google this. I make fun of this word all the time. Um, 
tractate. Oh, a tractate. A oh, tractate. Yeah. I love that I forgot that word because it's like the worst, most useless translation ever. Only terrible people ever say the word tractate. The word masechet comes from a root that means like to weave. Like the mm-hmm. roof of a sukkah is called a skach, and that's the same root as a masechet is like a woven thing. So that's like a beautiful Talmud turn of phrase. And, you know, there's all kinds of like cute little etymologies like that built into Talmud world. That's fun. Like when you're learning a language that isn't your mainstay, you sometimes pick up on those weird internal metaphors that someone who's Mm -hmm. a native speaker just doesn't even notice anymore Mm -hmm. are ways of describing things. That's always fun. It's hard to think of examples off the top of my head, but... I know what you mean. You get weird insight into like... That language really is this created, like an artistic process, iterative artistic mm-hmm. process of signifiers and signs, oh, all those words that start with S. I don't know. Right. I don't know what Hell yeah. About. You know what I noticed, though? This is totally related. The word Slack, you know, people use Slack at work. Right. The most popular web application for inter-office communication between colleagues. Right. And I really don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it either. But it's literally called I am being lazy. Like, that is right. the name of it. That is so strange. I assume Slack is like the extra rope or extra material you have. Like, when you are doing something with rope, you're like, put some Slack in the rope. Okay. I'm assuming there's something there about like the space, the open, loose space where coworkers hang out. It's where you Slack off together and communicate. I don't know. It's like a water cooler thing. I think it's very revealing, though, about modern office life yeah i don't know it's just very strange we're constantly telling on ourselves human beings yeah that's true language reveals psychology yeah previous askers smooshing with shior i hope that answered your question let us know if you like the answer next question wondering in wisconsin so this person has been listening through our back catalog oh god and now they say my question is now that i'll only be listening to two episodes of hi how are you a week instead of two episodes a day what else am i going to listen to on my 20 minute commute can you recommend any podcasts that will give me extra doses of hebrew or talmud or jewish history and or queerness that will keep me going until your next episode wait 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 they're part of a 20 minute commune commute oh okay because 20 minute commune is like the <laughs> perfect amount of time i want to spend in a commune every week. <laughs> right wow you really figured it out you have the best of both worlds you got that independent lifestyle plus you got the the 20 minutes of commune 20 minutes of commune time what is a commute if not a non-consensual commune with all the people you're stuck in traffic with what are your recs Hava? well first of all i just want to say i'm honored that you've been devouring our catalog so voraciously and we'll do our best to keep you entertained some things i want to recommend there are a couple podcasts that are over now but i still think you should go back and listen to them so there's a podcast called history and the bible it is by this guy i don't remember his name he's like a history professor and he just went through the whole bible and just like section by section talked about the historical elements of it using his research skills as a history professor. It is a great series. I listened to it early on in my Jewish journey, and it really informed my later understandings of Judaism because I had this big, broad historical survey. So I love that podcast. You should go listen to the back catalog of Kosher Queers. We had jazz from Kosher Queers on the show last year i believe and their whole back catalog is definitely worth a listen you should listen to sephirot 
Homoware, which is done by a friend of mine. It is intended for the time period of counting the Omer, and I've heard that they might make another season this year for the Omer again, so you might have more to look forward to. You should go back and listen to Throwing Shade, which was a Jewish demonology podcast that doesn't exist anymore, it seems. They never formally announced that they were stopping, but they haven't released an episode in a year, so we can only guess. Yeah, they're busy. But that was a really good show. And then, of course, our sister show, Judaism Unbound, is a great treat. And the last thing I want to recommend is whatever Sam is doing right now, can you tell the listeners what podcast Sam is still creating? Because you know better than me. Okay, if you're into like serious lectures in the style of the episodes that we've done with Sam before, Historian Splaining. Historian tells you why everything you know is wrong. He has hours and hours of epis. I would highly recommend checking that out. We have a short-lived podcast that is still up, I think. You can still get access to God Save America, where we actually go through different religious denominations in America. The top 25, I think it was, religious denominations in America, and talk about what they believe, why they believe it, the history of them, and, you know, gives a little context for all the different churches and other religious institutions that you might find in different parts of the country. So that's another thing that I would check out. I mean, you listed all the all the good Jewish stuff. Mm-hmm, I think so, yeah. Besides that, I mean, I listen to like a bunch of garbage left podcasts and ghost stories. I'm looking at the list of subjects, Hebrew, Talmud, Jewish history, and or queerness. I feel like we've covered what I think people should listen to about those subjects. Oh, you could do a real throwback to why do I like men? That's a good one. Oh, yeah. That's the Heron Walker podcast, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, that one's way over, but also is really good. Made me follow Heron Walker on Twitter and everything she says is really funny. She seems like one of those people that's just like, we could never hang out in person because she just seems like too cool, too much cooler than me. I know what you mean. I do like listening to podcasts of people who would probably think I'm way too lame and corny and like... Yeah, but I respect it. I respect that energy. Yeah, it's a nice energy to have. I'm glad it's out there in the world and it's entertaining. So I hope you enjoy those shows yeah dear listener and i hope you continue to enjoy our show all right so now we have another two questions from the same person hello i recently discovered your podcast and fell in love i was raised secular and now consider myself to be a post-halachic liberal for a long long time i've wished that i had access to the talmud i don't know hebrew much less aramaic and the english translations have no comments or guides it seems like not even rashi's so my question is, how do you break into Talmud? And they'll have a second question after this. So I have my own answer, but I wanted to start by asking you, Michael, because you have, in the process of creating this show, yeah. broken into Talmud in real time. That's true. Yes, listeners will have witnessed this process. It's true. You've live broadcasted it. Yeah, I, I guess I have. It's, it's very Marina Abramovic of you. Who is Marina Abramovic? She's a performance artist. She, like, does a lot of stuff where she's, like, on display. You would recognize her if you Googled her. She, like, did this thing where she was, like, sitting at a table for, like, a week or some shit. And anyone could come up to her and spend, like, five minutes with her. That's kind of neat. Yeah. She's a very famous performance artist. Just trust me that it was an incredibly witty and funny reference. And listeners everywhere are tittering with cultured humor at it okay well neat well I, <laughs> my suggestion is um besides making a podcast and forcing yourself to do right. it publicly <laughs> right i mean really like the simple thing is have a, a havruta 
I had like a formal Hivarita for a while, but then just doing podcasts just took up too much time and I wanted to focus more on that. But you, in the sense, are a Hivarita through the medium of this podcast. So it's true. Make yourself accountable to someone or to a class has helped. I think also it doesn't have to be that hard if you just focus on one little piece that's in front of you and try to understand it. And that's the building block that you need. If that's just one sentence, if that's just the like first line of a Mishnah and just translating it word by word and learning about the different grammar that comes up from that sentence or roots of words from that. That's just the process. Micro steps. Don't overthink it. Get into it if you want mm-hmm. to. I think that's a great answer. My What I was going to offer is pick one sugya and start there. Just pick something and stick to it. Doesn't matter what it is. I highly recommend learning at least your Aleph bet. If you go to www.jewishlive.org slash shell dash ma'ala, you can find a bunch of the previous classes that I've taught with friend of the pod, Binya Koatz. You can watch our classes and participate in them. You can basically like experience them retroactively and get a little bit of learning that way. Also, Sfara, the big queer Talmud yeshiva, has something called their Mishnah Collective, which is a class of theirs that meets, I think it still meets daily at this point. It is engineered for people with little to no Hebrew experience. So if you just Google Sfara Mishnah Collective, I bet you'll find it. And I heartily recommend that. I think it's a really good space to just slide into as a beginner. So yeah, those are my steps is learn your Olive Bet, pick something, and take a look at those video resources. Your second question. My other question is, why are your episodes so short? On multiple occasions, you have bemoaned that you don't have enough time to give a topic justice. Why not just give yourself more time? Mm, That's a that's great a question. Michael question. recently proposed that we make longer episodes, so clearly it's in the zeitgeist. It's in the zeitgeist. I think we could, if we doubled the amount of patrons we got, we could <laughs> we could make hour-long epis all the time. Yeah, I think part of it is we are both just, generally speaking, people who really struggle to get everything in our lives done that we need done, whether that is because of the frailty of our minds and bodies or the overwhelming amount we need to get done. We're delicate lotus flowers. No, we're not even, we wish that we were lotus flowers. We wish that we could use that as an excuse, but really, (laughs) we're just... Daffodils. We're just weak-stemmed daffodils. Yeah, a lot of it is just that like we only have so much intellectual and spiritual energy to expend per week. Honestly, I think it takes more than double the work to make an hour-long episode because the longer the episode goes, like the more complex the content becomes. So yeah, basically it's just like our own energy level and availability and focus. Yeah. And also Michael does all our editing themselves and it would add a lot to their editing load in addition to the recording. I think it's possible, though, that it could increase in the future. You know, it just depends on if people are still interested, the more patrons. I think if this truly became your full-time job, then that would change things, right? Sure. So basically, we're babies. We're little babies. We're a baby podcast. Maybe someday in the future, but for now, you know, we're just doing our best and... Thank you for enjoying the stuff that we do have. There's this X-Men podcast I listen to and really like called Cerebro. Mm. And that guy does like 
four-hour episodes, but he only does like an episode every two to three weeks. So that's also a different thing is if we had a longer release calendar, it would be a completely different situation. I think other podcasts do a little bit less editing. I'm pretty aggressive in part Mm -hmm. because I'm afraid that I'll like totally get myself or you canceled indirectly. Right. I was just, this is a complete digression, but Jewish Currents, which is like the lefty Jewish magazine, accidentally published a semi-Zionist advertisement recently. They like immediately retracted it and apologized. And I just seeing the, the replies to their tweets has made me so glad i don't know just like people are ruthless it's like the zionists hate them the anti-zionists hate them they're like fuck you like this isn't enough how dare you basically how dare you apologize (laughs) like there's just no winning yeah there is no winning but we appreciate that you want more and maybe one day we'll do it i personally like as a listener i kind of enjoy short podcast episodes and in the beginning that's One of the reasons that I set about to make short podcast episodes, because I like just little nuggets, but to each their own. Yeah, yeah. Okay, onward to our final question, the longest one of all. Could you make an episode of Talmud Terminology for Dummies? Here are some of the examples of terms I hear you use frequently and I don't totally understand. Admittedly, I'm too lazy to Google them. Oral Torah, Tanakh, Midrash, Mishnah. Dafyomi, Gemara, Babylonian versus Jerusalem Talmud, Halacha, and Zadik. I know that Safaria does define some of these terms, but I think what I'm asking for is not only the definitions of each, but the overall picture of how they relate to one another and to Jewish text study. I sense that I'm missing some context crucial to better understanding. Plus, I always learn better when humor is involved. All right, why don't we go through them one by one? This is fun. It's true. I have them all listed out. So our first one is Oral Torah. Michael, your response. (laughs) Yeah, oral Torah is what you do when you don't feel like you're ready for Torah. (laughs) Right, for for penetrative Torah. For penetrative Torah. (laughs) Well, you know. Uh, No, oral Torah is basically synonymous with Mishnah, and it is the collected uh, sayings and uh, thoughts and legal reasoning of a bunch of people from the turn of the common era, I guess. From <laughs> Yeah, it starts a little bit before the common era. but And it was all eventually written down like a thousand years later, 800 years later, in like the 900s or 600s or something like that. So oral Torah is that. Oral Torah equals Mishnah equals stuff that was compiled in the early first millennium and written down down in the in the later first millennium yeah that's basically what i would say as well first of all the phrase oral torah always reminds me of the 30 rock joke about the rural juror they just have like a very similar title so oral torah it's often in hebrew called torah shiba'al pei literally torah that's on the mouth it's basically used to mean the mishnah and the gemara meaning the two main layers of talmud and it's called oral in distinction from the written torah aka torah shibichtav which is the tanakh the stuff that we think of usually as torah the problem with a lot of these words uh, is that they have slightly different meanings depending on the context that they're yes. being used in. People use oral Torah very flexibly sometimes. Yeah, so oral Torah will sometimes just mean the Mishnah, or sometimes mm-hmm. it'll mean Mishnah and Gemara, meaning the commentary on the Mishnah. Right. Sometimes it will. people will use oral Torah to mean anything any Jew has said from the time of Sinai to now. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're speaking very poetically. Yes. Our next one's pretty straightforward. I'll just read my answer first. 
Tanakh. So Tanakh is an acronym of the Hebrew words Torah, Nevi'im, and Ketuvim, meaning teaching, prophets, and writings. These are the three divisions of the books in Jewish Bible canon. So Torah being the first five, Nevi'im being prophetic books, and Ketuvim being stuff like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Esther that don't really fit in other places. So Tanakh is basically just Jewish Bible, not just the first five books, but the whole shebang. Yep, yep, yep. That checks out. Checks out. Straightforward. Daf Yomi. So I looked up some history for this one. Daf Yomi literally means page of the day. It's this way of studying Talmud, which has definitely, I feel like, seen a resurgence recently in which everybody in the world is studying one page of Talmud a day. And the whole cycle is synced up. It takes about seven and a half years to get through the whole Talmud. One of the reasons it's had a resurgence recently is because I think at the beginning of 2020, I want to say, was the beginning of a new cycle of Dafyomi. I might be wrong about that time. But recently, the Talmud was finished and the new cycle started. And so there's always like a big upsurge of Dafyomi excitement when that happens. Dafyomi is new, right? Like it was a concept of studying that came about in the 20th century, right? Yeah, a lot of people talk about it as if it's straight from Sinai, but it was first proposed in 1920 by Rabbi Moshe Menachem Mendel Spivak, and later implemented by Rabbi Meyer Shapiro. It was originally just intended to be something for the youth of Poland, but it sort of snowballed and became an institution, and now it's this thing that sort of like creates sort of a big public forum for Jewish discourse. I think it's a pretty snappy idea. It is not my preferred way to study Talmud, obviously, because if it was, this would be a Dafyomi podcast. But a lot of times, sometimes I'll go through phases where I listen to Dafyomi podcasts and I sort of like absorb some information from them and it still broadens my knowledge. But for me, it's moving through Talmud at a very fast pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me too, I don't think I could do that. All right. Gamara. Any thoughts, Michael? Well, we mentioned it. Gemara is the commentary on the Mishnah. It is stuff that was compiled, composed and compiled, like, I don't know, like 600 or something to like 1100? I don't think it was all the way to 1100. No? Okay. Well, anyway, Gemara is often synonymous with Talmud, although Talmud is sometimes used to refer to both the Mishnah and Gemara combined. Just depends on the context. Sometimes you'll hear the word Talmud and they'll actually be referring to just this later commentary, the Gemara, that they're talking about. The Amoraim, the people who are the speakers in the Gemara, were hanging around from 200 to 500. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. there you go. It was off by 400 years or so, but that's okay. Right. So Gemara literally means completion. It is a layer of Talmud that comes after the Mishnah. Uh, one important thing to know is that in observant subcultures, this word and Talmud are often used interchangeably. People mean Gemara when they say Talmud, and they say Gemara and mean Talmud. They use these words to mean exactly the same thing. It's also where we find what we call the Stamaitic layer of text, which is the layer from the sort of final redactors of the Talmud. Stama, meaning simply, is an academic term that came from the name of the last Amoraic generation, a.k.a. the Stamaim, because they present themselves without attribution. Earlier versions of Talmud, earlier versions of Gemara, were just collections of laws and sayings without necessarily uh, the argumentation logic. And sometimes it's hard to tell what is Stama and what is part of yeah. an Amoraic saying. The Stama is a very crafty 
crafty device. Yeah, in some ways it's trying to like force a collection of teachings or stories and weave them together into like a narrative. That's almost what the argument's purpose is. Next one is Babylonian versus Yerushalmi Talmud. Yep, yep, yep. These are basically the two Talmuds, and one of them was composed in Palestine Zone, which is the Yerushalmi, and one of them was composed in the Diaspora, which is the Bavli or Babylonian Talmud. Usually when people say Talmud, they mean the Babylonian Talmud. They almost never use the plain word Talmud to mean the Yerushalmi. People usually just say the Yerushalmi when they're referring to the Yerushalmi instead of Talmud. The Yerushalmi has some Masechets that the Bavli does not have, so it has some stuff that is exclusive to it and vice versa in each one. Because of a variety of historical factors, manuscript production, timing, generations of scholars and stuff like that, the Babylonian has become vastly more popular and authoritative over time than the Yerushalmi. That's a state of affairs that I don't think will ever be changing. Halacha. Now, this is a juicy one. What do you think about halacha? Oh, no. It's one of those, depending on context words, halacha, I think, tell me if I'm right, halacha can mean something that's from the same time period as Mishnah or Talmud, but doesn't appear in Mishnah or Talmud, but it appears in some other more legal works. It can also just mean law generally mm-hmm. and the more poetic applications of that just like oh all of halakha is like jewish practice or like you know right. stuff like that so halakha literally means something like way or going it is often interpreted as law or jewish law and it's used in a lot of confusing different ways sometimes when people say something like the halachic literature they mean things like the shochan aruch and maimonides which are like things that are focused on codification which is a kind of law that we're much more familiar with in the west and sometimes when people use halacha they mean something like the halachic process which includes talmud a halacha can be a single jewish law Sometimes people use it to mean the end result of a series of argumentations in Talmud. It is a very flexy little term. And also people use it to mean the whole body of Jewish law. Like people say the halacha says or the halacha, you know, dictates this as like summing up the entire body of Jewish legal literature as if it has one unitary opinion, which uh, it does not. So there's also Midrash Halakha. We haven't even talked about the word Midrash yet, but we'll get to that in oh, a little bit. Oh, yeah. But Midr- Yes, I know, I know. But Midrash Halakha is the name of a genre. It goes through the text of the Torah in order, and it creates Halakha, like laws, based on that text as it goes through it. It is also the name of a collection of books that are from mm-hmm. the time period when the Mishnah was redacted. So that's another very specific category of halakha. Well, let's just drive seamlessly from that into Midrash, which is often the body of literature that you're bringing to this show. Midrash is another one of these uh, flexible terms. You may be noticing a common theme here, listener. It comes from the root Dalit Reish Shin, meaning to examine, expound, or question. So sometimes Midrash means just an interpretation, like 
oh, my uncle gave a midrash on Bereshit, and here it is. Like, my uncle had this cool interpretation. You know, this was his drosh. People often use the shortened form drosh. Sometimes people use the word drosh to mean that same thing, just an interpretation. And then also, there's a whole body of literature that's technically known as the midrash, which includes things like Genesis, Rabbah, etc. And oftentimes, like a midrash, it's almost synonymous with a baraita, something that is of the time period of the Mishnah, but didn't make it into the Mishnah or didn't make it mm-hmm. into one of the other compilations of stuff, but right. just sort of known teachings. And I'm not saying this is a correct usage. Sometimes people use Midrash as an opposite term to Halakha. Oh, interesting. As like Midrash is interpretive without being authoritative. Right, right. right. And Halakha is sort of an interpretation that results in a law. That's kind of a, a very slippery and loose way of using that word, but that is just how Jews talk sometimes. One of the things I may be doing with this professor I'm working with on this website that hasn't seen the light of day yet, but we're making good progress on it, is creating like a visual representation of what all these categories mean that really shows the technical distinctions between Baraita, Midrash, Midrash Halacha, Halacha, A Mishnah. That's a cute idea. Yeah, it is, it is pretty neat. We're to our final term, which is Zadik. So just to get us off on the right foot on this one, Zadik comes from the same root as Tzedek, which usually we interpret to mean justice. Literally, it means a righteous or faithful person. Sometimes it means just a good guy, just a good person. Sometimes it means like a big, important good person, like a folk hero. And sometimes it means like literally a saint. Like someone who has like attained magical powers, especially in early Hasidism, a tzaddik is often someone who's like doing some magical stuff by virtue of their piousness. Yes, I also think tzaddik is a term in Russian for a child nursery. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that's important to incorporate here. There you go. Uh, yeah, so a tzaddik is, is a good guy, sometimes so good he's magical. Might create a golem, who knows. Right, it's it's anyone's ballgame at this point. So good, watch out. That is the terms, listener. I hope that list of rambling, confusing, flexible definitions was helpful to you. Let us know, give us some feedback. Other than listener questions, my next favorite thing is when people tell us how they felt about our answers. And that's it for our mailbag episode. Wow, that was great. Some of these questions have been hanging around for a while, so I'm really glad we finally got them together to answer them. I hope everybody enjoyed your answers. Next week, we'll be doing another listener question, and then soon we're going to have a couple guests on the show. We haven't had a guest in a while, so clean the house, everybody. Company is coming. I'm bringing something fun for the patron episode next week. Yeah, some logic stuff. Hell yeah. I love that for you. For us. For the people. Yep. Existential implications of logical argument styles, people. So get ready. Dope, 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 dope. Okay. Well, everyone, you're all great. Thank you so much for enjoying our ramblings. Uh, we love you and Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Bye. Bye.